Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the state of Georgia. The Eric Erickson Show. The phone number you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC. That's 877-973-7425. This hour is sponsored by Dynamic Money. Uh, my personal financial advisor, and they really are, and they were before they sponsored the show. That's why they're sponsoring the show, because they've gotten to be friends of mine. Uh, happy to support it. Chris Burns, who fills in for me, filled in on Tuesday. He is the president of Dynamic Money. Great financial planners. You want retirement planning. You want budgeting advice, all that good stuff, want to learn a family budget, everything you need to be financially independent, call Dynamic Money. Uh, you can go to dynamicmoney.com, get more information from them. You can see anywhere over Georgia, they'll, they'll join you by FaceTime, video chat, uh, on the phone, you name it. They are super accessible. If you're anywhere in the nation, frankly, uh, you can reach out to dynamicmoney.com. Now, there is a huge story. I was actually going to put this off. I was going to put it off until the second hour, but it has suddenly exploded thanks to Jake Tapper from CNN. Uh, let me get to this story from the New York Times this morning. Big story. There are four reporters on this story. Adam Goldman, Julian Bards, Maggie Haberman, and Nicholas Fandos. The headline, lawmakers are warned that Russia's meddling to reelect Trump. Subtitle. A classified briefing to House members is said to have angered the president who complained the Democrats would weaponize the disclosure. Intelligence officials warned House lawmakers last week that Russia was interfering in the 2020 campaign to try to get President Trump reelected. Five people familiar with the matter said a disclosure to Congress that angered Mr. Trump, who complained that Democrats would use it against him. The day after the February 13th briefing to lawmakers, the president berated Joseph McGuire, the outgoing acting director of national intelligence, for allowing it to take place. People familiar with the exchange said, Mr. President was particularly irritated that Representative Adam B. Schiff, Democrat of California and the leader of the impeachment proceedings, was at the briefing. During the briefing to the House Intelligence Committee, Mr. Trump's allies challenged the conclusions, arguing that he had been tough on Russia and he had strengthened European security. Pay attention to this paragraph. Let me read this again. This is important. During the briefing to the House Intelligence Committee, Mr. Trump's allies challenged the conclusion, arguing he had been tough on Russia and had strengthened European security. Notice the New York Times does not actually say he has actually been tough on Russia and strengthened European security, but he actually has. This president has actually been tougher on Russia than the prior administration. He's actually done more to send defensive armaments to Eastern Europe than the past president did. But no, no, notice they, they can't bring that up. Some intelligence officials viewed the briefing as a tactical error, saying the conclusions could have been delivered in a less pointed manner or left out entirely to avoid angering Republicans. The intelligence official who delivered the briefing, Shelby Pearson, is an aide to Mr. McGuire and has a reputation for speaking bluntly. Though intelligence officials had previously told lawmakers that Russia's interference campaign was continuing, last week's briefing included what appeared to be new information that Russia intended to interfere with the 2020 Democratic primaries as well as the general election. <gasps> oh! smelling salts please we're going to faint now the russians are stealing the election for president trump again they're stealing the election for president trump you know it's not a coincidence that they're pushing the story the day after the quinnipiac poll shows in the swing states donald trump is cruising to re-election it's the russians it's not the americans it's the russians you know you know i i i to some degree, what we see in the press now is absolution journalism. A buddy of mine uh, has mentioned this several times. He's a big proponent of the theory absolution journalism. Uh, 
that the media covers stories in a way to absolve Democrats of any sin. All the sins are on the Republicans, and increasingly what, what it is, is is they want to absolve the American public of sins and blame the Russians. It, it's it's you, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't blame the American people because the American people, we can't tell them they're bad. Only the Trump people are bad and stupid. It's not the other Americans, those independents who are falling for Trump. It's got to be the Russians. It must be the Russians. You're absolved of believing Donald Trump because the Russians are lying to you on Facebook. You know, interestingly enough, CNN's story is that the Russians actually are not trying to steal the election for Donald Trump. They're just trying to undermine everyone's confidence in the election. Again, they're probing weaknesses in the election. Now, all of this is blown up significantly all of a sudden because Jake Tapper, you know, I, I'm sorry that conserva Twitter tells me that Jake Tapper is is not trustworthy and, and we can't believe Jake Tapper and, and uh, no one should pay attention to Jake Tapper and, and Jake Tapper's bad. I actually think he's a fine guy and a great reporter. Let me read you what Jake Tapper says this morning. He began tweeting an hour ago. A national security official I know and trust pushes back on the way the briefing story is being told and others with firsthand knowledge agree with his assessment. Now, you will note only five people, all of them Democrats, five people gave the New York Times the story. What's been articulated in the news is that the intelligence community has concluded the Russians are trying to help Trump again, but the intelligence doesn't say that, the official said. The problem is Shelby, Shelby Pearson, the person who briefed Congress. The New York Times described as rather blunt. The elections threats executive in the intelligence community said they developed a preference for Trump. A more reasonable interpretation of the intelligence is not that they have a preference. It's a step short of that. It's more that they understand the president is someone they can work with. He's a deal maker, but not that they prefer him over Sanders or Buttigieg or anyone else. So it may have been mischaracterized by Shelby at the House Intelligence Briefing last week. And by the way, the official says, both Democrats and Republicans were challenging this at the briefing. Then there's the matter of the tense meeting between President Trump and erstwhile acting director of intelligence, uh, Admiral McGuire. The president was upset that he had to hear about an intelligence conclusion from a member of the House Republicans rather than from the intelligence community. So he was out of joint with McGuire on the process. None of this disputes that Trump desires to replace those who have intelligence experience with partisan loyalists or dismisses the larger issues and concerns about Russia and how the president seeks help from abroad. But that just seems to be uh, more to this particular story. Also, none of this disputes that the Russians and others are attempting to interfere in the U.S. election again. In other words, and in fact, let me get to the, how the CNN spin on the story. And the CNN spin came before the, you know, ironically, I was going to talk about this in the second hour, but then it just kind of blew up in the last hour. See, I'm flexible because I'm a professional. Uh, oh, and it's Jim Acosta writing the story. But Dana Bash is involved and Dana Bash is, is a very, very fair person. They say the briefer said Russia does favor Trump, but that helping Trump wasn't the only thing they were trying to do as it was designed to raise questions about the integrity of the election process. Then Russia wants to engage in hacking, weaponizing social media and attacking election infrastructure. Now, again, 
A couple of things to draw out of Jake Tapper's reporting. Tapper is, is an exceedingly fair reporter. And a couple of things to draw out of it. One, yes, the Russians, when they look at the field of Democrats versus Republicans, they're thinking Donald Trump is someone we can do business with, not that Donald Trump is going to be pro-Russia. Wait until it gets to be Bernie Sanders versus Donald Trump. Then they'll realize, hey, we not only have someone we can do business with in the race, we have one of our own in the race. And then they'll, you know, it really is funny. As as Bernie Sanders rises, an actual communist who actually honeymooned in the Soviet Union and actually defended Soviet breadlines and actually defended Fidel Castro and actually defended Hugo Chavez and actually defended Nicolas Maduro and actually defended all these other communists in the world and actually defended communist command and control policies and actually defended communist authoritarianism and actually defended Karl Marx and actually defended Das Kapital and actually defended the role communism plays in a society. It's no coincidence the media wants to drive up the Russia wants Trump, Russia wants Trump, Russia wants Trump because they're about to get Bernie Sanders who actually is a Soviet communist sympathizer and I'm not, y'all, you realize I'm not making that up, right? I mean, we we have yet to, to plumb the depths of the Bernie Sanders opposition research, and it's there. Bernie Sanders, for God's sakes, he honeymooned in the Soviet Union. When he got reelected in Vermont, when he was mayor of Burlington, a Soviet commissar sent him a letter of congratulations. Did you, did you know that? Did you know that Bernie maintained ties with Soviet leaders? Did, did you know that Bernie Sanders defended the Soviet Union? Did you know that Bernie Sanders defended bread lines? Did you know that Bernie Sanders defended command and control uh, economics? Did you know that Bernie Sanders defended the economic premise of Das Kapital, the, the handbook of communism from Karl Marx? Did you know that Bernie Sanders did all these things? Have you heard it in the media? It's no surprise that as a, a I'm sorry, democratic socialist, Democratic socialist is is skyrocketing in the polls with the Democrats. Suddenly the media says, it's, it's Russia and Trump. It's Russia and Trump. It's all about Trump. And here comes Jake Tapper saying, whoa, wait a second. Wait a second. This isn't about Donald Trump. This is about undermining the American election. The president isn't mad at the director of national intelligence for telling Congress this stuff. He's mad that the director of national intelligence didn't tell him first. But the media can't do that. They, they can't say that because that would be, dare I use the word, that would be fair. It would be fair. And the media's got a narrative. And the narrative is directly opposed to the president and in favor of the Democrats. So when we have the communist sympathizer, Bernie Sanders, as the Democratic nominee, it's all going to be about how Donald Trump is the pawn of the Soviet Russians or whatever. Except we know that's not true, and it's further going to undermine the media. You know, one of the interesting things that's going to happen in in the 2020 race is that all of the opposition research on Bernie Sanders, the media reaction to it is not going to be to ignore it. And this is this is you, you need to pay attention to this, man. If I could log this file, February 21st, 9:17 a.m., almost 9:18 here, and log it to play it back later this year. It is not that the media is going to say the opposition research on Bernie Sanders doesn't exist because it does. What they're going to say is that it's old news. It wasn't effective on him in the primary, but it's already been covered. It's old news now. We don't need to re-talk about this stuff. This stuff's already been out there. You know it's going to happen that way. 
But that's going to further undermine trust in the national media. It's going to further undermine trust in the national media uh, being able to influence Americans, which is a good thing. You know, honest to goodness, this goes back to the story the other day. Uh, The Russians have started putting Sputnik radio on air in Kansas City, Missouri, and elsewhere. Around the country, the Russians are buying up airtime in the United States to run Russian propaganda as standard talk radio fare in the United States. And the reason they can do it and the reason they can get away with it and the reason there is a market for it, although subsidized for Russia, so maybe not the market they think it is or want you to believe it is, but the reason they can do all this stuff is because American distrust of the media has skyrocketed to an all-time high. The American media makes everything about Donald Trump, including Russian interference in the election, when the underlying premise of it, according to the actual intelligence report, and by the way, note Jake Tapper says even Democrats in the committee briefing were pushing back on the idea that Russia actually favored Donald Trump and wanted to get him reelected. But the, the Russians can do all of this because the American media has made everything about Donald Trump. Everything is about Donald Trump. And they ignore any story that has no tie into Donald Trump. Remember, the media covered the Meghan Markle, Prince Harry, Megxit breakup thing because they didn't want to move to the United States because Donald Trump was president. The moment that was old news, they had to move on to a different, different angle. The coronavirus situation, notice how the media is actually covering, there's actually a CNN story. Let, let me find this. I, I bookmarked this and we'll get to it. Uh, da, 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 da. Yes, 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 yes. Um, this, this is an actual CNN story on CNN.com. What's spreading faster than coronavirus in the United States? Racist assaults and ignorant attacks against Asians. The word Donald Trump does not appear in this story, but you and I both know that the underlying premise of this is with Donald Trump in the White House, hate and racism is on the rise in the United States and it's their people are lashing out at Asians. And they've got like three, three examples of people, one of which is a viral video that they're way more worried about uh, Chinese people getting their feelings hurt than people dying of the coronavirus. And it's not to say that's right. Don't hear me as, as defending racist attacks on the Chinese. It's not. I'm happy to go to, to a Chinese restaurant in New York City. And by the way, did you know that a lot of Asian people, they, they wear face masks in public because they're super polite and they don't want to give you germs. They don't want to get your germs. There's nothing to do with people being sick. And when they are sick, they cover their mouth. You, you don't need to be attacking Asians. But that's not the point here. The point here is there actually isn't a huge amount of this going on in the country or anywhere else in the world. But the, the media wants to focus on that. In the age of Donald Trump, everyone's a racist. The Russians are stealing it for Donald Trump. Everyone's a racist. It's all bad. We're all going to die. Every story's got to have a Trump angle. And when every story has to have a Trump angle, the media starts ignoring the stories that don't have a Trump angle. How quickly did the media set aside the Boy Scout bankruptcy story? There's no Trump angle there. How quickly did the media move on from the story of the NASCAR driver and the wreck? There's, there's no Trump angle there anymore. The president wasn't there for the wreck. How quickly has the media moved on from impeachment now that the, the president's poll numbers have gone up? How quickly has the media moved on from the situation in Syria? There's there's no Trump angle there. How quickly has the media moved on from the Hong Kong situation? There's no Trump angle there. How quickly has the media moved on from every story where there's no Trump angle? 
So now they, they've reverted back to just in time for the rise of Bernie Sanders. Oh, the Russians really want Donald Trump to get elected. The, the Russians are all about helping Donald Trump. No, actually, the Russians just want us at each other's throat. And guess what? It's working, and it's working because the media is willing to do that. The media is willing to stir the pot. The media is willing to have Americans at each other's throats over the 2020 election by misreporting and misrepresenting what's going on. And five Democrats leaked to the New York Times and generated a massive story today that the Russians are helping the New York Times. And guess what? It turns out, according to one reporter at CNN, who happens to be a good guy, turns out there were Democrats behind closed doors pushing back on that narrative. And you would never know that from the New York Times. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to call in on all this, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I don't want to kill the entire show on the on the Russia is stealing the election story it really is so overdone and it really is a a chicken little uh, hair on fire uh, media display of Trump derangement syndrome it, it, y'all it really is there are so many people now in this country who blame every bad thing on the president you know there's actually the, the BBC which is British I realize but they got an American service that's become quite popular with the left. They're, they're out there now uh, with a story, and I want to, before I play that, I, I got two clips from the other day. Jim Messina, who was an advisor for uh, President Obama, we need to play this clip so you understand the proper context. Finally on the economy, right? It's the economy, stupid, and it's a good economy. It was a good economy under President Obama. It's a good economy now for President Trump. But how do Democrats beat Trump in this economy? Well, a couple things. With swing voters, these Trump-Obama voters who decide these elections, their economy's not great. They have an average of two and a half jobs. They don't have stocks. You know, their economy has kind of slid in the past five years. And remember, the economy is growing faster with Barack Obama than it is Donald Trump. But, Bobby, Democrats have to have an economic message that makes sense. And they have to go right at the economy and talk about it. And I think we'll get there in the general election. And it's one of the appeals of Michael Bloomberg, because if you look at the majority of his ads, they're straight economy. And Democrats are starting to respond to that because we know that Democrats win presidential elections when we talk about the economy. When you talk about the economy, except the, the way they got to talk about the economy is to talk down the economy and tell people that swing voters are are losing. And you're starting to see these stories. In fact, the BBC has a story of a couple who live in Reno, Nevada, and rent has gone up so much because Silicon Valley and Tesla billionaires from L.A., that they're all moving into the Reno area and they're driving up rental prices and it's become more and more expensive. And so people are having to go to food shelters and stand in line. And there's real sympathy there. And don't don't presume that I'm knocking these people or insulting these people or, or, or don't believe their plight. I do. The problem is that when the economy is doing very well and a Democrat is president, homelessness goes away and the plight of those left behind by the economy go away. During Barack Obama's administration, you will recall they rewrote guidelines on employment so that people who had two part-time jobs to meet 40 hours a week were considered to be full-time employed. And the media ignored the people working two and three jobs to make ends meet. There have always been people in that situation, and oftentimes it is because the economy explodes and a lot of people get rich and property values start to go up, property taxes start to go up, and it hurts the poor among us. 
there is a huge issue uh, in this country regarding uh, people getting left behind in the economy, and it always has been that case, but the media never cares about it until there's a Republican president, and in particular with Donald Trump. Suddenly, you've got Jim Messina. It's no coincidence. He goes out and says, hey, we need to start talking about uh, swing voters being left behind by the economy, and now you've got a bunch of media outlets, not just the BBC. They're just the one I saw today talking about, oh, yeah, the Trump economy. It, it, on paper, it's great, but all these people are being left behind. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. We have begun the great Democratic freakout. Now, every campaign goes through the, um, g- goes through the freakout. The Trump campaign will go through the freak out, but they don't have to freak out right now in large part because the Trump campaign saw the Democrats on stage the other night. And oh my goodness gracious, uh, things are not going well. Uh, Poor old, you know, Elizabeth Warren, there are so many stories out today. Remember, the media wanted Elizabeth Warren to happen. Elizabeth Warren is something the media likes. She's a candidate the media likes more than anyone else. Uh, And and not that the media likes more than anyone else. It's that... uh, People in the media like Elizabeth Warren more than anyone else likes Elizabeth Warren. They've been trying to make her happen for a while. It hasn't worked, but man, she's on the rebound now, and she did a forum with uh, CNN last night, and oh. His response, one of his responses to what you said, was that maybe they didn't like a joke I told. Yes. That he was implying this was an off-color joke that he made. What's your reaction to that? That just doesn't cut it. So do you, do you think that would be disqualifying in and of itself to be president of the United States? Yes, I do. I think that, I think that when a man who is a billionaire, you know, can we all just remember the power relationship about what's going on here? Who calls people names like fat, broad, and horse-faced lesbian, and who knows what else because of the non-disclosure agreements, that when a man who is a billionaire throws that kind of thing out there, and then when someone finally, think what that must be like, to work in a company or to be someone else trying to make it in that field, and you're up against the owner of the company, a multi, multi multi-billionaire, someone finally says, this is bad enough, I'm going to raise a complaint. I'm going to go to a lawyer, or I'm going to go to HR, I'm going to raise a complaint. You've got to admit, that takes a lot to be able to do that. And that the consequence of it is he dumps some money on it and then stuffs a gag in the woman's mouth. If he's not willing to remove those gags and let those women and maybe those men talk, then he is disqualified from being president of the United States. So you have said, and this is, this is important when you say disqualifying, because you've said you'll support the Democratic nominee for president. I will support president. the Democratic nominee. What about Michael Bloomberg? Look, I will support the Democratic nominee because I believe that everyone on that stage would make a better president than Donald Trump. Now, she had a little scene uh, after before she did this. Listen to part of this from last night's CNN town hall where she, she had one and Biden had one. There wasn't a ton of news to come out of either one, but listen to this. So, I brought something with me today. <laughs> no. That last night in the debate, if I can, just for a minute here, last night in the debate, I had an exchange with Mayor Bloomberg about about uh, the question about sexual harassment 
and discrimination that had occurred, and there have been many allegations about this. And he said on the stage that no, it had just really been about a few jokes that he'd told mm -hmm. that people hadn't, hadn't been. And that I, uh, but the people on the other side, we think mostly women, uh, had to sign non-disclosure agreements, which means they are legally bound not to tell their side of the story. He can tell his side of the story, but they can't tell theirs. And so I asked him if he would release all of those people from the non-disclosure agreements. This is an election for president of the United States and transparency here is important. So I used to teach contract law and I thought I would make this easy. Here we go. I wrote up a release and covenant not to sue and all that Mayor Bloomberg has to do is download it, I'll text it, <laughs> sign it, and then the women or men will be free to speak and tell their own stories. And if I can, I just want to read the relevant language. Bloomberg and the company release any and all obligations contained in any agreement, including but not limited to, any employment, settlement, severance, or non-disclosure agreement between Bloomberg and or the company and any other person to the extent those obligations preclude the other person from disclosing information relating to sexual harassment, discrimination, or other misconduct at the company or by Bloomberg himself. Under this release, it is now the other person's choice to disclose such information or not. <laughs> This is you got to give it to to Warren. This is good performance art. Uh, it is good performance art on her past. She on her on her part. She knows there's a problem there. But you know, if I were Bloomberg, I would be really tempted to come out and say, "You say that we can't win against Donald Trump if we have non-disclosure agreements with a bunch of women, but Trump won with a bunch of non-disclosure agreements with a bunch of women." <laughs> I mean, he would get her with that line, except it's not going to happen. Um, but you know, the the great the the freakout has begun over Bernie Sanders, and and so you're going to start hearing some people a little bit upset with Elizabeth Warren being so hard on Bloomberg and not on 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 Sanders. Pay attention to this because I, I think this is important. Pay attention to it that the you you've got a lot of people out there who are panicked on the Democratic side about Sanders. I'll explain why when after I play this. Uh, but they're going to get mad at Elizabeth Warren, and you're already starting to hear it. She's not going after Sanders. She's going after Bloomberg. Why is she tearing down? Down Bloomberg, or why is she tearing down Bloomberg and not tearing down Sanders when Bloomberg can win and Sanders can't? At least that's what the media says. I thought it was a great night for Bernie Sanders. I thought it was a great night for Donald Trump. I thought it was a terrible night for the Democrats. The truth is, Bernie Sanders is on its trajectory to be the Democratic nominee. To me, he I just don't see him having any shot in a general election. I'm panicked. I am absolutely panicked. Well, uh, no one but Bernie, Stephanie. Come on, he's an anarchist. He would love to burn down the United States. If we nominate a socialist like Bernie Sanders, we're going to lose. It'll be like George McGovern. It'll be a blowout. Nobody just says the obvious. Bernie, you're full of it. They're just 
pandering to the Bernie people. And you know what? Pandering gets you nothing. It certainly doesn't get your respect. Tom Perez needs to step down. He's a joke. He's a clown. He can't run the Democratic Party anymore. It, it's lost its way. I don't see how Democrats uh, do anything but bleed out when they put a socialist at the top of the ticket. It is a death sentence for the party, and it will lead to Donald Trump's reelection. The loser, as Leslie put it, are the Democrats. They've got to get out there and say, I disagree with socialism. I believe in the markets. Right. I think he's wrong. I think he'll never get it done. And this country will never go that direction. And by the way, we'll lose 49 states. Corbyn didn't work in England. Bernie ain't going to work in the United States. Then Anyone but Bernie. Anyone but Bernie. Yeah. Except there's a problem now. You know, they got a win in Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin. You know, I, I, there's a deep, deep irony here. If the president were to lose Pennsylvania, if the president were to lose uh, Michigan, and the president were to win Wisconsin, he would still get elected with 270 electoral college votes. And guess what? According to Quinnipiac, that's exactly what's happening. <laughs> so the president right now is losing but barely. Uh, Michigan and Pennsylvania losing, but barely he is winning Michigan. Uh, the president, according to Quinnipiac, now this is only Quinnipiac, Quinnipiac, eh, their track record's moderate. You got to do the polling average again, but we've, we've got their data. It is worth talking about because everybody else is talking about it. The president is winning Wisconsin, beating every single Democrat from Joe Biden to Mike Bloomberg and everyone else in between brutally beats Bernie Sanders in Wisconsin, and he does well against most but not all of the Democrats in Pennsylvania and Michigan, uh, and Bloomberg actually does well against the president of Pennsylvania, but wait until they get a load of this audio from Bloomberg and the crowd. The crowd is important. Others talk about fighting climate change. I cut New York's carbon footprint by 13 percent and helped create a grassroots movement to close more than 300 polluting coal-fired power plants across this country. <laughs> Going to close the coal-fired power plants across this country. And the crowd goes wild. That's not going to help. That's not going to help. I mean, so, listen, again, this is important. Every campaign eventually goes through freakout mode. Every campaign does. And the reason every campaign goes through freakout mode is because there will come a time where the polling suggests things aren't going well for you and every candidate has a bad week. Everybody's got a bad week. I've had a bad week. Everybody has bad weeks. And when you have bad weeks, you get down, you get depressed. Uh, you're, you're, why God, why are you picking on me? You, you, you wonder, what, what have you done to make God mad? And uh, candidates go through that too. Candidates are people. The president he goes through it just like the rest of us. He wants to know why other people are mad at him. Well, you know, this is a president who for years was heralded by the press. He was popular. He could go to restaurants and all the celebrities wanted to be seen with him. And then he put an R next to his name. And that was the end of that. This president, and I, you think I'm joking, but I'm not. This president could hold every single belief he currently holds and have a D next to his name. And the Democrats would celebrate him. The Democrats would them. How do I know? Because Mike Bloomberg's getting applause from a lot of Democrats out there, and he and Trump have a lot of the same views. How do I know? Because the Democrats hang out with Louis Farrakhan and Jeremiah Wright, and they get a lot of applause. 
It's that he has an R next to his name that matters. And, you know, that again, that, that's the thing. Let's, let's go full circle in this hour to the, the New York Times story. And I'll, I'll come back to it in depth here in a little bit. But the New York Times story says that the Russians are trying to steal the election for Donald Trump. Do you know what else the New York Times has? The New York Times has an op-ed from the number two of the Taliban. It is terrorist propaganda on the op-ed page of the New York Times with, with their, their problems with the Americans and how bad the Americans are. This is a man who has helped fund al-Qaeda and protected al-Qaeda. He has overseen terrorists who killed Americans. He himself has been involved in the killing of American soldiers. And the New York Times is okay giving this guy an op-ed in the New York Times, a terrorist leader running terrorist propaganda on the op-ed page of the New York Times, which isn't really different from a lot of the editorialists at the New York Times anyway, but still, you get my point. They're worried about the Russians stealing the election, and they're okay with the Taliban. They've, Donald Trump has broken them. They've got Trump derangement syndrome. And you know, I, among my peers and friends and colleagues in talk radio land, I tend to defend the press more than most. And the reason I tend to defend the press more than most is because I've worked in the media. I've worked alongside some of these people. I know that they may get it wrong, but they're not intentionally malicious. Some, some, not all, not all. I'm happy to call some of them out. Some of them, I think I get a bad rap. For, like, for example, Jake Tapper. Uh, I, I know Jake Tapper. Jake Tapper is a friend of mine. And I think Jake Tapper tries very hard to be as fair and balanced as he possibly can. I don't think he gets it always right. And I'll send him a private note on occasion and say, hey, I, I, I think you're, you're thinking about this the wrong way. And sometimes he pushes back. Sometimes he does. He, he's a fantastic guy and an exquisitely fair journalist. And conservatives blowing up. But I remember when Democrats were blowing up, when Barack Obama was president. And I said, it was kind of funny, uh, in the, like the last day, like January 19th of, of 2017, I said, get ready, Jake Tapper. Conservatives are about to hate your guts now. After four years of Democrats hating his guts. Uh, and sure enough, conservatives, oh, you can't trust Jake Tapper. Jake Tapper's opposed to I think he's a fair guy. I don't think he always gets it right, but I, I think if you're going to listen to a member of the media, Jake Tapper is someone you should listen to. Brett Barrett, Fox News. I think Brett is incredibly fair, incredibly unbiased, uh, super, super fair, and pointed in all of his questions on both sides. I wish I could see a joint CNN-Fox debate where it was just Jake Tapper and Brett Bear asking people questions. That would be fantastic. And then I think there are people like Jim Acosta who want to make himself part of the story. And in making himself part of the story, he always gets the story wrong because the story is never about what actually happened. The story is about how he was treated. And he wants to make a spectacle of himself. And, and I guess he wants his own news show or something. And so he makes himself a spectacle. And I got a problem with that. I, I, I do. I've got a problem with Chris Cuomo on CNN, who is a Democrat, who is a partisan, who is the son of the former Democratic governor of New York, is the, the brother of the current Democratic governor of New York, who clearly is a partisan. Man, Roger Ailes and I one time had a fantastic conversation about Chris Cuomo, uh, was not a fan. Um, and, and Cuomo's a partisan hack. He is. Occasionally, I, I, I remember... Uh, a couple of a couple of months ago, uh, or no, it was last month when the the Iranian response to the uh, with their impotent missile strike, Cuomo had on a general and actually had a really good interview with the guy, and I gave him credit for it. But that's like the, the exception to the rule of how bad he is when it comes to dealing with Republicans. There, are, CNN's got a lot of people who are broken by the president, don't like the president. When I was at CNN, I would have people come up to me and whisper. 
I read your stuff. Why, why could you know what Fox people come to me and say, hey, it's it, it's the resurgent guy or it's the red state guy or or we I love your stuff at CNN. It was always a whisper. Why? Why? Why do you have to whisper? Because there are a lot of people on the left. There are really good people and I like to defend them, but there are some really bad people. And I don't care to defend them. But it is, it's amazing how the New York Times is so relentlessly anti-Donald Trump that they will run a story and get the substance of it wrong that the Russians are trying to steal the election for Trump. And at the same time, run a, a poor, pitiful us op-ed without any question from the Taliban, from a man who has directly overseen the killing of Americans. And, and they wonder why the Americans don't trust the press. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I'll spend a little more time on the New York Times story later. Uh, we got to get into the, the Collins-Leffler match, unfortunately. I, I'll give you my candid thoughts on that when we come back. But right now, let's just enjoy this commentary. And I don't know if anybody watched last night's debate. It got very big ratings. And you know what? Mini Mike didn't do well last night. I was going to send him a note saying, it's not easy doing what I do, is it? Not easy. It's not easy, Mike. Not easy for any of them. Now, Mike didn't do too well. He went way down. It's all right. Mini Mike. How about Klobuchar? Did you see her? She choked. She choked. She couldn't breathe. We cut some of the applause. Something slightly derogatory. And she said, are you accusing me of being dumb? Who would make a statement like that? Because that's really what he was doing, but he doesn't want to say that. No, no, how about that? Are you saying I'm dumb? That was the end of her campaign in my book, you know. You don't say that. Even if it's true, you don't say that. Right? <laughs> oh, well, he also he, he also had choice words about the Academy Awards and, and the Parasite movie. By the way, how bad were the Academy Awards this year? Did you see it? And the winner is a movie from South Korea. What the hell was that all about? <laughs> we got enough problems with South Korea with trade. On top of it, they give him the best movie of the year. Was it good? I don't know. You know, I'm looking for like, where, where, let's get Gone with the Wind. Can we get like Gone with the Wind back, please? <laughs> I think you do that because he knows it's my wife's favorite. So many great movies. The winner is from South Korea. I thought it was best foreign film, right? Best foreign movie. No, it was the button. Did this ever happen before? And then you have Brad Pitt. I was never a big fan of his. He got up and said, little wise guy statement. <laughs> little wise guy. He's a little wise guy. We were defeated in the debates. Well, I defeated crooked Hillary every time. And by a lot. So what? Yeah, she's crooked as a $3 bill. You know, I was going, whatever happened to the 33,000 emails? Whatever happened? 33,000, she deleted them and acid washed them, and she didn't get in trouble. Can you imagine if a Republican did that? They would want to bring back the death penalty, right? 
two standards, but I think things are happening. I think, you know, I said drain the swamp. I just never knew how deep it was. We have more garbage in the swamp than you would ever believe. <laughs> you know, I realize the media deeply hates the Trump rallies and believes that they're terrible, awful things. But can we acknowledge that he's really good? He's really good on the campaign stage. Whether you like him or not, he's actually deeply entertaining. He gets the entertainment value. The Democrats don't. I'm here. I'm here. My, my, <laughs> my computer went to sleep on me. Had to wake it up. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. This hour, like last hour, brought to you by Dynamic Money. Uh, if you want to be a sponsor of the program, reach out to us. Uh, but Dynamic Money, uh, Chris Burns, who filled in for me on Tuesday, uh, good friend, my financial advisor uh, decided they wanted to, to advertise and, and get awareness out there about them. They're really, really good. Uh, they've helped us get out of debt, uh, refinance our house in, in a way that we were able to pay off a lot of credit card debt. And in fact, our mortgage payment didn't even go up. Um, it just, it was great. Uh, really, really good guy, really good company, uh, really helpful. They teach you budgeting. Uh, they put you on a budget. They work with you on getting rid of your debt. They work with you on on uh, retirement strategies and, and adjusting and getting you comfortable with the risk level. It's just, it's been wonderful to go through the process. And they'll meet you wherever you are. Uh, and they will, you can FaceTime, you can Skype, you can do video. Uh, you don't have to get to their office in Atlanta. Anywhere you are in the country, they're willing to help. Go to dynamicmoney.com and thank you to them for their sponsorship. Uh, one bit of housekeeping before we get into the Leffler-Collins race. I'm going to start with a phone call here in just a minute. Um, and the phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, again, 877-973-7425. Uh, I'm going to send out a recipe here in a little bit if you want it. You know, I, I'm a native of Louisiana. And uh, one of the, the traditional dishes in Louisiana, it's like an empanada. Uh, it's a Natchitoches meat pie. Uh, now, you, if you ever see the name Natchitoches, you won't know it's pronounced Natchitoches. That's how you can tell a native of Louisiana from someone who's not a native of Louisiana. If you're not a native of Louisiana, it's Natchitoches, uh, but it's actually Natchitoches, and it's Natchitoches meat pies. You can fry them, but I've got a baked meat pie recipe, and it, it's basically you, you get the trinity, the, the, the green pepper, the celery, the onion. You mix it with hamburger meat and spices, and you, you make a pie dough, and, and you, you make a, these little meat they're fantastic. Now, sadly, uh, most people in my family are picky eaters and they don't like my, they don't eat the knackish meat. It's not that they don't like my, but they don't eat them at all, but they're really good. Uh, and they're easy to make. You can, you can, you can use a, a Pillsbury pie dough from the grocery store if you don't want to make your own, but it's easy to make the pie dough as well. If you want the recipe, text the word recipe to 33777. Text the word recipe to 33777. I will get you on the list for the Natchitoches meat pie. And uh, now I'm going to begin the program with, uh, all right, is it Javi in Athens? Yes, sir. How are you? You said it right. I'm doing fine. Thank you. How are you, sir? Good. Uh, so <clears throat> I had a two two questions. Uh, if you can't answer the second one, that's fine, but. The first one was uh, about the Senate race, and the question is, why is Doug Collins so insistent in running? You know, is Kelly, you know, and I heard you yesterday. You said that they agree in virtually almost everything. So mm -hmm. my question is, is he running for selfish purposes, or what? What for? You know, so he so he can get recognized, or what? And then the second question is. 
you know, uh, more of a bit or a, a religion question, I guess I would say. You know, I'm a Christian, non-denominational, and my question is, why are there so many denominations if, you know, there's only, you know, it's just Christianity? <laughs> there, there's one <laughs> Jesus in a million denominations. <laughs> it's just, I That's mean, a... it's like Christianity is one religion, but there's so many denominations, and I just don't get that. Okay. All right. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm going to answer the second one first. I wasn't expecting to do a religion segment here, but I'm going to go for the second one first. Why are there so many denominations? Well, yeah, it, we, there are, it, it, if you go all the way back uh, to the Catholic Orthodox split, and th- there was a big issue over uh, the Philoke clause in the Nicene Creed, uh, does the Holy Spirit proceed from the Father or from the Father and the Son? And in Western churches, we say in the Nicene Creed that the 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 Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, and that that is a uh, the Orthodox churches. This is a, the original split. Is no, the Holy Spirit only proceeds from the Father if you're in the Orthodox Church. Western churches, Protestant churches, Catholic churches believe otherwise. Now that actually impacts your uh, theology to some degree, and it impacts your Christology on how you view Jesus. Uh, as to whether or not you think the uh, the spirit proceeds from the father and the son or just from the father um so that, now let's let's set that aside to to the the bigger issue in the protestant church of uh the reason is because after the protestant reformation you used to have a pope who who basically uh, dictated uh, this is what we believe, and and you had the history and the magisterium and the beliefs. Well, the Protestants rejected all of that, and so it became a free-for-all of I read the Bible and I interpret it this way, and I and all of my friends who interpret the Bible this way, um, we're going to go off in our direction and, and other people in the other direction. Now, ultimately, Everyone accepts the the foundational parts. There, there is just as there is a Trinity. And by the way, I I do subscribe to the belief that you have to be a, a believer in the Trinity to be a, a an Orthodox Christian, an, an actual Christian. You got to believe in the Trinity. I realize the word Trinity is not anywhere in the Bible, but it is very clear that there is a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit, and that they are one entity. And therefore, it is a, a triune God. Um, and, and you got to believe that to be a Christian. I, I believe that. And, and that's why there, there are Christians say that uh, Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, and, and the Jehovah's Witnesses are, are not technically within Christianity because they reject the Trinity. We, we, this was something we fought over in, in the 300s with Constantine and, and settled on this. When you get to the modern-day churches, a lot of the disputes are over governance, and that's why you have so many different denominations. Uh, the Baptists believe that each church is congregational and distinct. They also believe in, in believers' baptism that you you grow up and you get dunked, and and that's when you're you uh, are become a member of the church. President, most uh, Christian, most of Christianity, uh, including most of Protestantism, believes in infant baptism. That circumcision in the Old Testament was the sign that you were within God's people, and then Jesus replaced that with baptism. And in the early church, you found that it was not just adults who were getting baptized, but families were getting baptized themselves uh, as a sign that they were within the the family of God. And so most uh, do that. And then within those, there's also the governance issue. Of Presbyterianism, for example, has a general session and, and churches are accountable to um, to sessions and you've got elders and you've got deacons. Most of the major divisions within churches today are over the issue of church governance. Are each Is each church independent or are churches part of something larger? 
From there, you get the the quibbles of faith. I, I like to call them. Everybody agrees, except Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you become a, a you're a Christian. And there are parts of that that you got to believe in the physical resurrection of God. You got to believe in the virgin birth. You got to believe in the Trinity. Within there, there are all sorts of boundaries of faith. Um, you can believe all sorts of things as long as you accept that one, Jesus is, is Lord and Savior. And there is a Trinity. Two, that there is a virgin birth and three, that there is a resurrection. And within there, there are all sorts of quibbling over how people prioritize faith. And it's those priorities of faith uh, that have divided churches over time. Ultimately, though, whether you're a Baptist or a Methodist or a Presbyterian or a Catholic or an Orthodox uh, or, or Pentecostal, you name it, ultimately what it comes down to is, do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Do you accept him as your Lord and Savior? And I don't mean the, the Jesus that you've created in your head, but the actual one. Um, there are a lot of people who say they believe in Jesus, but when you start probing them on Jesus, you realize that this is someone they've concocted in their head and not the actual Jesus of Scripture. But if you believe in the Jesus of Scripture, you're going to heaven. doesn't matter. Um, you, in your faith, may emphasize um, believers' baptism and an independent congregation. You may, in your, your church, believe in uh, infant baptism, and you're part of a greater church whole. You may emphasize the, the spiritual gifts, speaking in tongues. You may decide that that's not your thing, and, and it, it's not real, and you may go somewhere else. Uh, you may emphasize the magisterium and the history of, of the church and be Catholic. And I know a lot of Protestants think Catholics aren't going to heaven, and a lot of Catholics think Protestants aren't going to heaven, and I'm not going to go there. You're all going to heaven if you believe in Jesus Christ, the actual one of the Bible. Uh, but how you quibble about church governance and stuff, that's where you get denominations. I hope that makes sense, more long-winded than I intended, uh, but that's it, uh, church governance and, and some of the basic views. Now, interestingly enough, obviously he's in a non-denominational church. Ironically, you know where most non-denominational churches are? They're actually Southern Baptists and don't want to call themselves that. Um, not all of them, but a great many independent uh, churches and non-denominational churches are actually Southern Baptist churches, uh, but they've decided to brand themselves as something other than that. They don't actually participate in the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, but, but a lot of those pastors come out of uh, Southern, Southeastern. I'm actually in Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary right now, probably headed back to Reform Theological, where I was for a couple of years, uh, several years working on my master's and moved into a PhD program, but I think I need to go finish my master's first. Now, all right, we got to move on to Javi's first question. Why is Doug Collins running? Uh, I think Doug Collins is running because he's been in the House for a number of years. He's no longer in the majority. And if you were not in the majority and Nancy Pelosi was Speaker of the House, would you want to stay? He wants to stay in politics. He doesn't want to stay with Nancy Pelosi as Speaker. He knows even if he wanted to admit the Republicans aren't taking the House of Representatives back in 2020. So let's move to the Senate. He was presented with an opportunity. Uh, he lobbied to get the job. Governor Kemp decided not to give him the job. And so now he's going to fight for it with Kelly Leffler, who he knows, he knows, and we all know because we've seen the ads, that she's not as charismatic on the campaign trail as he is. Uh, but I think there are some problems there. Now, uh, pivoting on that, let's go to David in Kennesaw. David, you're going to be next. Welcome. Hello, Eric. Um, you know what? I, can I pivot to an, a theological question and then back to my politics? <laughs> we, we'll have theology today, yes. So here's my my interpretation of, well, of, if you're an Orthodox Christian and you believe hell is real, but yet you believe the Bible teaches that hell ends in death. Why would you not, could you not be an Orthodox Christian in that case? Wait, if you, if you believe the Bible says what about hell? 
that it is real, that it punishes, that uh-huh. it's painful, but that it ends ultimately in the destruction of the soul rather than a continuing Oh, annihilationism. You know, there are a lot of... Conditional immortality. Conditional immortality. Yes. Um, So, so, yeah, there there are a lot of people. In fact, I believe Seventh-day Adventists believe in in annihilationism, that essentially you go get punished for a while and then you just cease to exist. Um, That is it. There is a huge theological dispute on this. Uh, The majority of Christians have a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about it it going on forever. But, you know, there are also a lot of verses in the Bible that seem to suggest... uh, that uh, there are some people who they have no relationship with God, so they're not going to burn forever. They're just going to be on the outside of the kingdom. Um, You know, I've read a lot on this subject, and it's actually very fascinating. Uh, And I could go down a rabbit hole and probably spend the next hour and a half on it, but I probably shouldn't. (laughs) I I will say, though, I I think if if you read this, if you accept the actual Jesus of the Bible as your Lord and Savior, you accept that he physically died, rose again from the dead, was born of a virgin, I I think I'll see you in heaven. Uh, I I had a seminary professor one time. I love his statement. He said, one day you're going to get to heaven, and you're going to be surprised who's there, and you're also going to be shocked that there aren't as many people as you expected <laughs> I, I, I i could agree with that and that's a I, all right I now you had a political that. question as well david well well in the break we heard more news quote news unquote about russia 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 right uh, supposedly they're going to interfere in the election again somehow they if they love trump so much they weren't able to get the congress last time around but i just don't know if the, if the right question is how stupid is the deep state do they are they that stupid or do they think half the country is stupid enough to believe well, that? Well, you know, again? as a matter of fact, so the New York Times, I, I talked about this in the first hour of the show, that the, the, the New York Times is running this salacious story and they've got everybody buzzing about it. And Jake Tapper from CNN has come out and said he's talked to an intelligence official he loves or he shouldn't say love, trust, explicitly trusts. And the intelligence official says the New York Times and these five Democrats who talk to the New York Times are not only explicitly mischaracterizing the testimony, but that there were Democrats in the room who pushed back on the idea that the Russians are throwing it to Trump. Mm-hmm. And what Tapper is saying is that, that, that what the Russian position is, is they just want to interfere in the election and so discord, which is working, uh, and that it's not that they back Donald Trump. It's that they see Donald Trump as someone they can do business with, and they're not yet sure about the Democrats. Now, you and I both know if Bernie Sanders is the nominee, uh, the, the Russians are going to put their full weight behind the, the Soviet apologist as opposed to Donald Trump. But it has nothing to well, do I with think, them trying to steal the election for Trump. Well, I think, thankfully, it's, uh, it seems like, I, from what I've seen, Trump, with the economy historically— being this good, he has about a 75% chance of getting reelected, and it's probably just clickbait, I guess. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I, I think it is. I, I think it's it's derangement by the press. And David, thanks very much for the phone call. It's derangement by the press that can't acknowledge the fact that Donald Trump is actually beating them. In fact, if you look at the Quinnipiac polling today, uh, the Quinnipiac polling today shows that uh, Donald Trump would win re-election by winning the key swing state of Wisconsin. He would lose Pennsylvania, Michigan, but would win Wisconsin along with the other key swing states, and we get 270 electoral college votes, which is what he needs. Now, it is no coincidence that the media is suddenly upping the the uh, Russia wants to steal it for Trump stuff. It, they can't 
beat him fair and square, what do they do? They undermine the integrity of the election and they undermine the integrity of the Electoral College. Uh, as opposed to trying to win under the rules set forth by the founding fathers, who, you know, are all racist now. Um, instead of trying to win under those rules, they've decided they just want to undermine the integrity of the election. Now, when we come back, I promise there is news on the Leffler Collins front, including what the president suggested about Doug Collins and Doug Collins's response. All right, all right, all right. Uh, the 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 news on the the Collins Leffler race. Why well, we'll continue taking your phone calls, theology and all. Uh, <laughs> Eight seven seven nine seven Eric eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. The Leffler Collins race. The president last night suggested that he would like to appoint Doug Collins to be the director of national intelligence and get him out of the race. There are a couple of things here. First of all, Doug Collins says he would not accept it. He wants to run for the Senate. He's not going to go be the uh, director of national intelligence. Uh, I, there is an underlying premise here, if we're honest about it as well, that uh, one, the president is difficult to work with in that position. And two, the um, the position's not permanent. It's if the president loses, you're out of a job. And if the president wins, he may fire you. Uh, the Senate would be more stable and you'd have have two years before you ran again and then six years if you ran that if you won that time. Remember, uh, Leffler will be on the ballot now for you to affirm or reject the governor's choice. And then she's only there to finish Johnny Isaacson's term, which will be 2022. So uh, if she wins this time, Collins could run again in two years uh, and and run against her then. But nonetheless, uh, that that's that's the setup. So we'll see whether or not uh, this actually whether or not they actually work on this now. I got to tell you, um, I, I want to spend a little bit of time on this race when we come back. Uh, the the Leffler team, by the way, she was at, um, at what is it, Swift and Fitch in, in Rome. The other, she was in Bartow County. If y'all have never been up to Rome, uh, Swift and Finch is one of the greatest coffee shops in the state of Georgia. Um, is, what is it on Broad Street? Um, I So... I, I think it replaced, maybe it's been there for a while. There used to be a coffee shop there. When years ago I was I was working for a candidate and there was a pizza place and, and then there was the coffee shop and I had to crash in Rome for for a week at a time. I mean, I was I was I guess 28, 29. And uh, me and, and a couple of the people from the campaign, we would there's a little pizza place right there in downtown Rome, and we would go have several pitchers of beer at night, and then get up in the morning hungover and, and go to the coffee shop. And I just I fell in love with Rome as a as a young person drinking too much in Rome, working campaigns, which is what you do when you're young and on campaigns, and then getting lots of coffee the next day. Uh, I, I love it. And and now when we go up to Rome, we, we go up a lot of times. We'll go up to Barnsley Gardens in Adairsville. And then we'll go over to Rome for a day and hang out. And I always go to Swift and Finch. It is a fantastic little coffee shop. And there's what's the outfitter there? Um, uh, there's a great outfitter shop down there by the river in Rome. I, I love it. Uh, go in there all the time. In fact, I got one of the the what is it, the 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 hammocks. Uh, it, it just I, I got a lot of stuff from there. Uh, in fact, I got a new kayak paddle from there just a while back. Uh, I love my kayak. But anyway, uh, so she was at Swift and Finch, which was a great coffee shop in Rome. Had a big turnout there, about fifty people. Uh, the Darlington school kids showed up. She was in Bartow County, and then she hopped on a plane. She flew to Macon. Uh, she had a campaign stop in Macon, and then she got on the plane and she flew to Washington because she's got a private plane. 
And naturally, the Collins folks are attacking her for having a private. She bought it with her own money. It's not her husband's plane. You know, Claire McCaskill in Missouri became a, a campaign attack on her because she was using her husband's plane in Missouri. Um, and uh, Kelly Leffler has the money to buy herself her own plane. I'm kind of jealous. I want a private plane. I do. I, I want a national radio show, and then I want to be able to afford it. I don't need my own plane. The, the, the upkeep and maintenance uh, would be silly. I could use net jets. But, man, I am so tired of being yelled at in the airport. You would you would be amazed the number of times I've been yelled at while peeing in the Atlanta airport. Now i got to go in the stall. And then they still see me in the bathroom washing my hands and, and get upset with me. And it's always Republicans, by the way. I always say something to make someone mad. I, I wasn't Trumpy enough, or I didn't defend the governor enough, or David Perdue enough. It's just it's silly. Now, I got more thoughts on the Leffler-Collins race when we come back. Man, this is something to to contemplate. My my Twitter friend Stephen Duffield noting uh, he, he had rewatched Lonesome Dove. And no, he watched it for the first time. Wow. Uh, said uh, in the next five to seven years, we're likely to lose Gene Hackman, who's 89, Robert Duvall, who's 90, and Clint Eastwood, who's 89. The collective work of the three is stunning to contemplate. Wow, it really is. It really is. Um, what neat people. Uh, what what amazing actors. It, it, it really is something. Now, uh, I, I don't want to dwell there. I, I'm happy to take your phone call, by the way. Uh, 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. I, I've got a, my column up at theresurgent.com this morning. It's actually my newspaper column for the Macon Telegraph uh, for this Sunday uh, on my frustrations with the Collins-Leffler race. And I mentioned this some yesterday as well. Uh, both campaigns are attacking the other on who has hugged Stacey Abrams the most. If you listen to the Collins camp, they they actually started it, to be fair. They're the ones who came out first swinging with Stacey Abrams and Kelly Leffler at a WNBA event for the Atlanta, whatever the the, the, the WNBA team is. And that uh, assuming Leffler participated and was involved, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and, and doing a fundraiser for Stacey Abrams, Doug Collins uh, the Leffler team pushback is such good friends with Stacey Abrams that she named a character in one of her romance novels, Doug Collins. She actually did. Uh, and in Collins, they pushed out a video from him from a couple of weeks ago talking about how he and Stacey Abrams are such good friends, et cetera. I don't care. Y'all, I, 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 I've actually gotten hate mail because I made this point in the column this morning. I think Stacey Abrams is a fine person with whom I disagree on everything. I have plenty of friends of mine who I disagree with vehemently on politics. Stacey Abrams is not a friend of mine. I don't know her well. I have spent time with her. I interviewed her for an hour uh, on a stage. And I listen, I, I have a bias when you have been in politics as much as I have doing what I've been doing for the number of years. It is refreshing to find a politician who can laugh at themselves and and make self-deprecating remarks. It just is. Um it is, it's, it's just y'all, I, I, I got a real problem with the politicians who don't have a sense of humor about themselves and Abrams does. And I find it refreshing. And uh, I've got several friends of mine who are Republicans who say she's, she's actually behind the scenes. You can work with her. 
um, on you can find common ground on some issues. I've never found common ground on issues with her. I, I disagree with her on everything. I'm not going to defend her, but I will tell you that this whole idea that the other side is is bad and they're your enemy, I find appalling in a in a country that premised itself on the idea that uh, Jefferson and Adams could say terrible things about each other and then go work for the greater good of the country together. And we've gotten away from that. And really, we've gotten away from it because there are so many small issues left and everyone has a hill to die on now. Uh, and you, you can be offended with me. You you can change the radio. I apologize to the program directors for sabotaging their stations, but that's the way I feel about it. I'm a conservative. I'm a Christian. I disagree with her on everything, and I don't hate her. I'm sorry. Um, and, and I don't really want to apologize about it, but I find it uh, genuinely appalling that we're running this race over who has hugged Stacey Abrams the most. Why is she relevant? The reason she's relevant is because let, let's talk about the issue. Let's talk about abortion. Doug Collins opposes it. Kelly Leffler opposes it. Doug Collins is, supports a 20-week abortion ban. Kelly Leffler supports a 20-week abortion ban. Let's talk about the Second Amendment. Kelly Leffler supports it. Doug Collins supports it. Kelly Leffler is opposed to an assault weapons ban. Doug Collins is opposed to an assault weapons ban. Kelly Leffler doesn't want gun regulation. Doug Collins doesn't want gun regulation. Um, 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 what else? What else? Um, I, I, uh, impeachment. Kelly Leffler opposed impeaching the president. Doug Collins opposed impeaching the president. Uh, Kelly Leffler supported the president. Doug Collins supported the president. On the military, she supports a robust military and more funding for the military. Doug Collins supports a robust military, funding for the military. They don't disagree on a single issue. I guess the only issue on which they may disagree is, is whether or not you can stand or sit to use the bathroom. And that has to do with one's a woman and one's a man. And, and so they don't really even disagree on that. Y'all, come on. This is stupid. And I, I resent like hell that we have to have this primary. I trust the governor. I if, if Doug Collins was running and the governor had not picked Leffler, I would be on the Doug Collins bandwagon today, yesterday. But the governor picked Kelly Leffler. And so I'm willing to support the governor. I'm willing to um, to march with the governor on this issue because the governor has had conservatives backs. And so I'm willing to have the governor's back on this. And, and here's what we're actually here's what we're actually fighting over in this race. We're actually fighting over the proposition that Kelly Leffler will grow in office, that she isn't the conservative she claims to be. That's what this race is really about. If you listen to the supporters of Doug Collins, they will tell you she's closetly, uh, closet, a closeted squish. And that once she has a full six-year term, she will grow in office. You know, if we believe that, we got to point out that the Heritage Action for America scorecard has Doug Collins as the second worst Republican from Georgia in Congress. They say he's bad on amnesty. I mean, if we're going to go there with her, do we need to not look at Doug Collins' record since he's been in Congress? Because there are a lot of people who would note that in years where there's no election, Doug Collins actually uh, isn't a Republican who aligns very well with, for example, the House Freedom Caucus. And in years where there is an election, he does very well on the House Freedom Caucus list and, and, and the conservative scorecards. Are, are, are we supposed to bring that? This is why it's so stupid, because he's a good guy and we all agree on most of the issues. And, and we're having to have this fight and we're dividing the Republican Party in Georgia at a time we need absolute unity. Now, there is an upside. Georgia Republicans tend to have a history of 
disagreeing with each other and staying home when their candidate loses. When, for example, Casey Cagle lost in the runoff to Brian Kemp, one of the things that happened in the general election is some Casey Cagle supporters didn't go vote in the governor's race, and that's one of the reasons it was close. wasn't a huge number, but it was enough. We see this time and time again. Um, in the David Perdue, Jack Kingston, Karen Handel primary, there were Handel and Kingston supporters who ultimately decided not to support David Perdue. They took their ball and went home. And if we had a primary in Georgia, as Collins and David Ralston wanted, you would see people show up in November and they would just skip that. They're, they're, Collins didn't win or Leffler didn't win, they would just skip it. By not having a primary and having them both on the ballot, what you have is a situation where all the Republicans are going to turn out. Every Republican's going to turn out. They're going to turn out for the president. They're going to turn out for David Perdue. And they're going to turn out for Leffler or Collins. So you will have maximum Republican turnout and no one will skip the ballot line. And now you've got Ed Tarver entering the race. So you've got Matt Lieberman in the race. You've got Ed Tarver in the race. And you've got Raphael Warnock coming into the race. And all of them are candidates who are going to have a core constituency. Lieberman has a lot of money. He's he's raised close to a million dollars now. The Democrats don't want him in the race, and by God, he's going to be in the race, and he's not getting out. And so you're going to maximize Republican turnout. You could very well see a situation where you have two Republicans in the runoff, and then we're all winners. We're all winners. If, if, if Collins and Leffler are in a runoff together, uh, we all win. And if it's just one Republican in, in the runoff, well, we all win because the Republican's going to run the runoff as well. But we shouldn't have to have this race. The money that's going to be spent on this race is not going to be spent on the Purdue race. It's not going to be spent on the president's race. It's not going to be spent to take back the House or to save the House. It's not going to be spent to save the Senate. It's not going to be spent for, for other races that matter in the state of Georgia and beyond. It's going to be there. And now it's, it's, it's just gotten silly. Uh, so, for example, Kelly Leffler, as I mentioned in the last segment, uh, has a private plane. She bought herself a private plane. And the benefit of Leffler buying herself a private plane, she pays for it out of her own pocket, is she was in Bartow County the other day. She was in Bartow County, and then she drove over. I don't know if she drove in her Kia or not. She went out and bought a Kia. Uh, drove from Bartow County over to, to Swift and Finch in Rome, the great little coffee shop there. And then got on a plane, flew to Macon, got on her private plane, flew to Macon, did an event down in middle Georgia with middle Georgia leaders, went back to the airport, got on the plane and flew to Washington, D.C. so she could be in a vote. Now, she did not fly commercial and and the Collins camp is now attacking her for flying. And, you know, uh, to be fair to the Collins camp, uh, um, Claire McCaskill in Missouri lost with people claiming she was out of touch with Missourians because she didn't fly commercial. She flew on her husband's private jet. Uh, Leffler could actually uh, capitalize on this by doing, uh, making the jet a part of her campaign that she cares so much about Georgia. She can hop from, from one point to another in the state of Georgia at any time. Uh, she got a mid-sized jet, which means it can typically land at most of the runways in the areas of Georgia. So she can go from Waycross to Bainbridge to Rome to Macon to Savannah to Augusta to, to Habersham County and beyond and back to Atlanta all in one day making copious campaign trips. 
and and bring her staff with her and have a great time and be seen everywhere if she does it right and and brands it right. And, and that's something that's got to be done. Claire McCaskill flubbed it. It wasn't her jet. It was her husband's jet. And she came across as out of touch and aloof. She didn't want to get her hands dirty on the campaign trail. Uh, Leffler's going to get her hands dirty on the campaign trail. All of this, if I sound annoyed, I am. It, it's just so, it's dumb. We're talking about two people who agree on every issue, who are trying to convince you that the other one is bad, and they're both good people, and I hate it, and I wish Doug Collins hadn't run. If if the governor had appointed Collins, I would be out there helping him. Uh, and I, you know, I, I don't know Leffler well. I know Doug Collins, and I like him tremendously. But I know the governor, and I trust the governor, and it was his right to make the pick, and, and it just kind of reeks of sour grapes that people are contesting. And now you got the president coming out saying he wants Collins to be the director of national intelligence, and Collins says, I'm not interested. And, you know, there, there's one thing I know about this president. This president doesn't particularly care for people who look a gift horse in the mouth when he's the gift horse. And so I don't know that you're going to – I wonder if you're going to see the president come out less subtly for Leffler. Because, you know, I mean, the, the Collins team, their spin has been that the president's going to put Leffler somewhere, that the president really wants Collins in the Senate, doesn't really want Leffler in the Senate. And here comes the president saying, no, no, I want, I want Leffler in the Senate and I want Collins over here. And Collins says, no, thanks. I want to be in the Senate. And I just, I, I wonder if the president's going to do something on that. I have no idea. If I could have three senators, I would have Leffler, Collins, and Purdue. You know, I didn't support David Purdue in 2014. And I didn't support David Perdue because he came from corporate America, and and typically, uh, corporate CEOs are terrible politicians, uh, and they are big on crony capitalism. And we got to get into the subject of crony capitalism when we come back, as a matter of fact. Uh, but they they're they're bad on spending issues, they're bad on fiscal issues, and so it's like I just I'm I'll vote for him if he's the nominee, but I'm not going to support him in the primary. And Man, I'm I'm glad he won. I'm glad I was wrong. He's fantastic. Uh, I now Karen Handel's a dear friend of mine. I supported her. But Purdue's fantastic. Purdue is 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 an amazing senator. If I could clone David Purdue and get him elected in every state, I would. We have two good senators in Georgia. And they'll both be on the ballot in November. And it is unfortunate we're going to have to waste resources on the special election that could be spent elsewhere. If Doug Collins beats Kelly Loeffler, let's be honest, he could because she hadn't gotten her sea legs when it comes to campaigning. He's really good and she's not when it comes to campaigning. Um, if, if that's the case, I'll be out there. I mean, if he gets into a runoff against one of the Democrats, I'll be out there knocking on every door. And I want him to come on the show, by the way. I, I'm, I, I love Doug Collins. I, I don't want to ask him a single hostile interview. Question. I, I, I want him to come on and I want him to be able to make his case. Why him, not her? I want her to come on and be able to make her case. Why her, not him? In fact, I want the Democrats to come on too. I want Matt Lieberman to come on. I, I want to have a conversation with all of these people. I want a conversation with every single one of these candidates uh, of why them. I don't even want them to make it about the other side. What is their issue? What do they want to do for Georgia? Uh, I, I like doing that. There's no reason to have to make it about the other side. Sell yourself. And if you can't sell yourself without saying the other person is bad, uh, I don't like that in a politician. I, I want a politician to be able to sell themselves. And I may not agree with them. But sell yourself without having to attack the other side. And right now, because these candidates uh, on the Republican side, Leffler and Collins, are identical on every issue, 
they're just savaging each other personally. And I think that's we're missing out and, and we're harming and dividing a Republican Party in Georgia that needs to be united. Y'all remember, one, this hour sponsored by Dynamic Money. If you need help with your retirement planning or family budgeting or teaching your kids budgeting skills, dynamicmoney.com. Those guys really can help you. Number two, text the word recipe to 33777. Because I'm going to send out my recipe for Natchitoches meat pies. Now, a buddy of mine is harassing me in text message, and I'm not reading the text messages, Charlie. I just see the little notification pop up on the screen. He's harassing me that they're not fried, they're baked. I actually like them better baked. And the reason I like them better baked is because the the pie dough recipe flakes up better when you bake them. Yes, it's healthier, but listen, have y'all seen me? Have you seen the live stream? Y'all, I eat fried food. I'm just going to tell you, and, and I like a fried empanada, but the Natchitoches meat pie, you bake them and they're really good. Uh, and you're going to want this recipe. So text recipe to three, three, seven, seven, seven. Now I want to spend a moment on the capitalism, crony capitalism, free market stuff. There is a new conservative group that has cropped up, uh, essentially to shift conservatism away from libertarian free marketeering. Uh, and I, I'm probably going to agree a bunch with the organization, I've got some friends who are involved with it, and I'm sure I'll agree on a lot of it. Um, but can we get over the idea that the Republicans in this country have actually promoted free marketeering? The Republicans in this country, uh, in charge of leadership at the federal and the state level, for by and large here in Georgia, have been outright whores to the Chamber of Commerce. I mean, they absolutely have, and I mean it as bluntly as I just said it. Uh, and the Chamber of Commerce has been big on crony capitalism, uh, restructuring uh, government to give kickbacks to major corporations. And one of the problems that we have in this country, objectively, is that it is harder and harder for the small business to become the big business because the big business has gotten so many protections in the law to keep the little business from ever being competitive. And we do need to tear down those barriers. For example, in the 80s and the 90s, software was governed by copyright law. So a Windows system could copy the Macintosh system, the Apple Macintosh system, so long as the Windows system used different code and came up with the same thing. And it allowed innovation and in competition. But now we've moved to software patenting, where you can patent, for example, Apple patented the swipe to unlock, which is a software feature. There was always a rule of thumb that you could use patent law to protect devices from running software um, that wasn't yours if you made the device. So, for example, uh, if Apple made the Macintosh, you could uh, use patent law to prevent other people from writing software to take over a Macintosh. You could do that. Um, Windows, of course, couldn't have that because Windows was designed to work on any PC, whether the, the processor was Intel or ADM or AMD, rather. Um we need to get back to software by copyright because you're allowing a bunch of patent trolls to block software innovation by saying, oh, I came up with this random software tool that you completely came up with differently with different code. But because I came up with it first, I'm putting you out of business. And these massive corporations buy up these patents and they shut down the little guy. Or you have a situation like we had for years in Georgia until Brian Kemp became governor, actually, where you had a bunch of Republicans who would give huge tax breaks for Fortune 500 companies to come to Georgia and compete against Georgia companies. 
That always struck me as one of the most absurd policy positions of Republicans in this state was let's go give a Fortune 500 company money your taxpayer dollars to move their corporate headquarters to Georgia. Never mind that Georgia has an up and coming competitor to that business. We're going to give priority to the Fortune 500 company, or we're just there is no competitor in Georgia, but there are a bunch of businesses in Georgia that are growing that we should help. But no, we're not. We're going to go to the Fortune 500 company. We're going to give the tax breaks to them and the tax incentives to them and the money to them to come to the state. That's terrible, and that's what we've done, because Republicans are whores to the Chamber of Commerce. And the Chamber of Commerce is not all bad, don't get me wrong, but the Chamber of Commerce is about big business. And the United States has always been a country that prided itself in the ability of small businesses, the Davids of the corporate world, to take on the Goliaths of the corporate world and win. And the Chamber has, by and large, become an entity that protects the Goliaths, and the Republicans have helped. Don't give me this garbage that we have a free market system in this country anymore, when the Republicans explicitly have been working to make it less so, to make it more cronyist. And you know what happens when you have a bunch of cronies? You have a bunch of people who say maybe we should do socialism if everybody's going to be in the tank like this i'm coming welcome it is eric erickson here i i'm making sure that i get the recipe sent out uh because y'all will be upset um if you want the recipe uh it is natchitoches meat pies it, it is comfort food for me it is the the holy trinity of, of louisiana cuisine the the celery the bell pepper uh, the garlic, the onion, and you, you, you mix it with, well, you use pork and ground beef. And, oh, you make these meat pies, you stuff them, you bake them in the oven. They're fantastic. And my immediate family won't eat them with me. And they are the greatest thing. They got cayenne in them. They're garlicky. Oh, they're good. Um, you'll like this recipe. They're not hard to make. You can use um, store-bought pie doughs. If, the, if making a pie dough intimidates you, you just you, you go get the ones that are in the box in the refrigerator section, not the frozen pie crusts. Um, you, you get the Pillsbury one. And you, it's 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 easy. It's good. Natchitoches meat pies. Uh, they're just they're man. They're comfort food. If you want the recipe, text the word recipe to three three seven seven seven. I'll be sending it out. I've got it set to go out at twelve thirty. Um, so you've got time to subscribe to it. It really is good. Um, and and I can't recommend the recipe enough to you. They're easy to make and they're quite delicious. Uh, then they're, they're, they're hand food. You can just put it in your hand and go. Um, but better than a hamburger. Well, okay. Eh, different than a hamburger, not better. All right. Sorry. We got to move on. Uh, we have, we got more stuff we need to talk about. First of all, have you heard this story? Uh, this is from the, the Greenville newspaper headline, Clemson to pay Wyoming $1.1 million to break contract that enables the Clemson Tigers to play Georgia. Clemson's 2021 non-conference football schedule got a big boost in appeal Tuesday when it was announced that the Clemson Tigers would open the 2021 season against Georgia. But it came with a hefty price tag. Clemson will play will pay Wyoming $1.1 million to buy out its contract to play the Cowboys during the 2021 season, according to the contract signed by both parties. Clemson originally was scheduled to host Wyoming September 18th, 2021. The Tigers will open the season against Georgia in Charlotte's Bank of America Stadium on September 4th, 2021. The game was announced Tuesday by both universities in conjunction with the 
Charlotte Sports Foundation. The game is part of a 2021 rivalry series being hosted by the Charlotte Sports Foundation and includes a neutral site contest between Appalachia State and Eastern Carolina. The Clemson-Georgia game will be the 64th meeting between the schools, the first since 2014, when Georgia won 45-21 in Athens. Clemson and Georgia already had scheduled a game in 2024, the Chick-fil-A kickoff at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, as well as a home-and-home series in 2029, 2030, 2032, and 2033. Can't believe they scheduled it out that far. The 2021 game against Georgia replaces a previously scheduled game against Wyoming. Clemson's other non-conference games in 2021 will be against South Carolina State, Connecticut, and South Carolina. Georgia leads the all-time series against Clemson 42-18-4. There you have it. So that's going to be... Uh, when it'll be next year, 2021, uh, when this happens. Uh, so they're already getting stuff set. Fascinating. I, I, I had no, I mean, I, and I guess I should, but I don't pay attention to this stuff very much. I saw this headline though and figured y'all would want to know. Um, I, I don't, I, I don't pay a ton of attention to, uh, how far out they plan these games. I just get the schedule on honestly. So Abby, uh, the program director at WGAU in Athens, our flagship, but frankly, I just follow her on Instagram and, and I see who's playing Georgia when she shows up at the games. <laughs> I know when she starts doing prep for a UGA football game that I need to start paying attention. Now, let us move on to other things. Uh, I have talked about the the Russia uh, story in the New York Times. Just to review, if you're just tuning in, the New York Times has a big story about the <laughs> uh, Abby texting me that uh, we're going to UCLA in 2025. Book my flight. I'll do that, Abby. Um, I, so the Russians are stealing the election for Donald Trump, according to the New York Times. Not so fast. According to Jake Tapper at CNN, let me read you again. If you weren't here in the first hour when I read it, this is actually a really big deal because um, this is this is the big story from the New York Times. And, and everybody now has it. CNN has a story. The Washington Post has a story. The New York Times has a story. MSNBC is going wall to wall with, oh, the Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. The Russians are going to steal it for Donald Trump. You've got a freaking communist running for the Democratic Party. And you think that Vladimir Putin's going to back Donald Trump against the communists? No, he's not. This is all subterfuge and obfuscation on the, on the part of the media uh, that, that wants to, they realize Bernie Sanders is about to happen and they got to they gotta turn to something else. By the way, let me play this one more time because it's just too rich not to uh, before I get into the Tapper tweet. This is, this is the, the supercut. The supercut, I think the, the Washington Free Beacon put this together, the media in full panic mode about Bernie Sanders gaining traction and there's new polling out suggesting he's even higher in the polls than originally uh, suspected. And there's this as of this moment. For those of you listening live, it is 11, 12, and 25 seconds on Friday, February 21st, and Bernie Sanders is now in the lead in every single national poll among Democrats. Joe Biden had been in the lead in every single national poll for more than a year. And did you know until Joe Biden and, and, and you know, there are people say, Hey, Biden could come back. Biden could come back. There has never been a candidate to lose the nomination of either party who led in the polling for 22 weeks in the run up to Iowa until Joe Biden. 
who looks like he's going to lose it. He's out of money. A lot of his backers, by the way, a lot of Biden's backers were going to go to Bloomberg until they saw his debate performance. And they're like, I don't think I can. And what's happening is Bernie's going up. Biden's going down. Bloomberg's buying up support. And the media is freaking out. I thought it was a great night for Bernie Sanders. I thought it was a great night for Donald Trump. I thought it was a terrible night for the Democrats. The truth is Bernie Sanders is on its trajectory to be the Democratic nominee. To me, he I just don't see him having any shot in a general election. I'm panicked. I am absolutely panicked. Uh, No one but Bernie, Stephanie. Come on. He's an anarchist. He would love to burn down the United States. If we nominate a socialist like Bernie Sanders, we're going to lose. It'll be like George McGovern. It'll be a blowout. Nobody just says the obvious. Bernie, you're full of it. They're just pandering to the Bernie people. And you know what pandering gets you? Nothing. It certainly doesn't get your respect. Tom Perez needs to step down. He's a joke. He's a clown. He can't run the Democratic Party anymore. It's lost its way. I don't see how Democrats uh, do anything but bleed out when they put a socialist at the top of the ticket. It is a death sentence for the party and it will lead to Donald Trump's re-election. The loser, as Leslie put it, are the Democrats. They've got to get out there and say, I disagree with socialism. I believe in the markets. Right. I think he's wrong. I think he'll never get it done. And this country will never go that direction. And by the way, we'll lose 49 states. Corbyn didn't work in England. Bernie ain't going to work in the United States. Then- Anyone but Bernie. Now, I, I, one more time, because I love this. I love it. 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 Before I get to Jake Tapper's tweet, I got to go back to the Chris Matthews audio from, from the debate meltdown uh, the other day. Man, did he melt down about Bernie Sanders. Check this out. And I hope that the candidates uh, who have been telegraphing their punches against Sanders, Senator Sanders, are actually going to deliver them. I mean, I hope they actually do what they promised to do. Are they going to go after him about the bad behavior of, of Bernie's supporters or not? Is this how they do things in Denmark? Nobody just says the obvious. Bernie, you're full of it. None of this is going to get passed. They're just pandering to the Bernie people. And you know what? Pandering gets you nothing. It certainly doesn't get your respect. They've got to get out there and say, I disagree with socialism. I believe in the markets. Right. I think he's wrong. I think he'll never get it done. And this country will never go that direction. And by the way, we'll lose 49 states. And I was there in, ni- in 1972 at the Democratic Convention where the people yeah. on the left were yeah. dancing in glee. I saw them. They were literally, John Kenneth Galbraith, dancing in a circle. They were so happy that they defeated right. the moderates by Tip O'Neill and Dick Daly. And they went on to lose 49 states in their glee. So that can happen again. So- it could. He's upset. The media's upset. They're all upset about poor old Bernie Sanders uh, being in the lead now. And now the New York Times comes trotting out the story that the Russians are coming. The Russians, they're not only coming, they're already here. They're working in the United States. This follows on the heels of the New York Times story I talked about last week or earlier this week, where Sputnik Radio is now broadcasting across the heartland Russian propaganda. It's all to get Donald Trump elected, except here's Jake Tapper. A national security official I know and trust pushes back on the way the briefing to Congress is being told, and others with firsthand knowledge agree. What's being articulated in the news is that the intelligence community has concluded the Russians are trying to help Trump again, but the intelligence doesn't say that, the official says. The problem is Shelby Pearson. He's the guy who briefed Congress. The election threats executive in the intelligence community said they developed a preference for Trump. A more reasonable interpretation of the intelligence is not that they have a preference. It's a short step of that. It's a step short of that. 
It's more that they understand the president, someone they can work with. He's a deal maker, but not that they prefer him over Sanders or Buttigieg or anyone else. So it may have been mischaracterized by Shelby at the House briefing. And by the way, both Democrats and Republicans were challenging this at the briefing. Then there's the matter of the president and the acting director of national intelligence. The president was upset he had to hear about the intelligence conclusion from a member of the House Republicans rather than from the intelligence community. That's why he's mad at McGuire. Not that McGuire had someone go brief Congress on the matter. This is completely different. Completely different from what the New York Times is reporting. Completely different. And by the way, I trust Tapper. He's a great reporter. Totally trust him. Good reporter. Uh, It got great sources. And here they come saying, wait a second, the New York Times is not being accurate in its coverage. Hmm. Who should we believe, the New York Times or Jake Tapper? I'm going to go with Tapper. It's a media fiction here. It is so much of a media fiction. Meanwhile, you've got the Democrats out there screaming about all this, Republicans screaming about all this. You know what we're not talking about? We're not actually talking about the coronavirus. There's a story that should trouble you greatly. In the wee hours of a rainy Monday, this is written by Lena Sun, Lenny Bernstein, uh, Shibani Matani, and Joel Achenbach at the Washington Post. In the wee hours of a rainy Monday, more than a dozen buses sat on the tarmac of Tokyo's Haneda Airport. Inside, 328 weary Americans wearing surgical masks and gloves waited anxiously to fly home after weeks in quarantine aboard the Diamond Princess, the luxury liner where the novel coronavirus had exploded into a shipwide epidemic. But as the buses idled, U.S. officials wrestled with troubling news. New test results showed that 14 passengers were infected with the virus. The United States, uh, U.S. State Department had promised that no one with the infection would be allowed to board the planes. A decision had to be made. Let them all fly or leave them behind in Japanese hospitals. In Washington, where it was still Sunday afternoon, a fierce debate broke out. The State Department and a top Trump administration health official wanted to forge ahead. The infected passengers had no symptoms and could be segregated on the plane in a plastic-lined enclosure. But officials at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention disagreed, contending they could still spread the virus. The CDC believed the 14 should not be flown back with the unaffected passengers. It was like the worst nightmare, said a senior U.S. official involved in the decision, speaking on the condition of anonymity to describe private conversations. Quite frankly, the alternative could have been pulling grandma out in the pouring rain, and that would have been bad. The State Department won the argument, but unhappy CDC officials demanded to be left out of the news release that explained that infected people were being flown back to the United States, a move that would nearly double the number of known coronavirus cases in the country. The tarmac decision was a pivotal moment for U.S. officials improvising their response to a crisis with few precedents and extraordinarily high stakes. Efforts to prevent the new pathogen from spreading 
had revealed the limits of the world's readiness for an unprecedented public health emergency. In the worst case scenario, COVID-19, a flu-like respiratory infection could become a full-blown global pandemic. Navigating the crisis had required delicate medical and political judgments. The decision to evacuate the Americans from the Diamond Princess came only after infections on the cruise ship spiked and passengers revealed their grim living conditions. In other words, the Centers for Disease Control said, don't bring them here. This is a problem. Don't bring them back. Don't put them on that plane. They're going to spread the infection. And the State Department said, bring them all home. Who are you going to trust? The experts on disease or the bureaucrats? I'm thinking maybe we should have left some people in Japan, but wait, it gets worse. Oh, this is very interesting. I didn't plan on talking about this, but I'm seeing this now circulating. And I don't know uh, Nathan Winston. Nathan Winston is a uh, political science major and uh, an analyst, elections analyst. Uh, and he's got a preliminary prediction of how a Sanders versus Trump showdown uh, come 2020 might look like. Um, yeah, you got to keep in mind, he says, that there are some areas where Sanders does worse than Clinton, uh, but those areas have been trending away from Democrats in any event. Uh, and uh, two things can be true. First, ancestral and to some extent legacy Democrats agree with economic and populist policies of the modern Democratic Party. But they do not agree with issues pertaining to abortion, gay marriage, immigration, etc. And Sanders is further to the left than Clinton on a number of those issues. While he may turbocharge the base in San Francisco and Queens, what does it do in the Iron Range of the Rockies? What does his cultural stance say with voters in western Minnesota? You're telling the voters in Clay, Norman, etc. are going to support the social policies put forth by the National Party? So what changes on the map? Well... On the map, uh, he would retake Michigan, and he would hold Minnesota barely. Ohio and Iowa are wipeouts, and he would lose Pennsylvania and Wisconsin by mid-digits. He gets below 40% in Texas and Florida, and his popularity with Cuban-Americans, Hispanics, and white voters in um, retirement areas would scuttle him there. Minority voters are not as socially progressive as their white counterparts. It isn't impossible to envision Sanders doing far worse in parts of the Black Belt. Uh, Alabama, Mississippi, South Carolina are not competitive, and he could break records with how low one can go there. Again, for the folks in the back, cultural issues can outweigh economic considerations at a time the economy is doing well. People will routinely vote against proposals that would help them economically when you add an identity and social politics. So what does all of this mean? that Bernie Sanders would get wiped out in the Electoral College. I mean, bad. It looks like someone bled all over the map. Um, down in, in far south Texas, he would do very well. And along the coasts, he would do very, very well. And everywhere else, he would do very, very badly. Um, interestingly enough, uh, this could put Nevada in play. Uh, the president would be able to hold Arizona. Um, he would not be able to pick up Minnesota, uh, New Mexico or Colorado. Uh, Corey Gardner would probably lose, but it would be bad. Now, again, this is preliminary. We are months and months and months and months away, 
But it, it's something to consider just how bad Bernie Sanders will do for the Democrats uh, unless something changes with the president. You know, I, I saw somebody earlier today said if the president deleted his Twitter account today and just sent out pleasantries and did his big campaign events for the next uh, nine months, he would cruise to reelection and probably win the popular vote. As it is, this guy, again, I don't know Nathan Winston, but I've got a, a number of friends who I follow who are very credible and they treat him with credibility. Uh, he's saying that uh, Sanders, because of California, is probably going to win the popular vote in November, but Donald Trump will win the Electoral College again putting him to be the first president ever to lose the popular vote twice and still get elected as president of the United States. And then you got the Elizabeth Warren situation we need to get to when we come back. Oh, that was timely. Um, So I have scheduled the Natchitoches meat pie recipe to go out at 1230. So as long as you text recipe to 33777 by then and then reply with your email address, you can get the, the meat pie recipe. What happens is you text recipe to 33777 and it will send you a text message saying what's your email address and you text back your email address and you're subscribed. You've got until 12.15, the way the system works, to subscribe. So text RECIPE to 33777. You will get the Natchitoches meat pie recipe uh, at 12.30 in your email box. You can make them this weekend. They're delicious. You need some ground ground chuck and some ground pork. If you can't get the ground pork, you can just use the hamburger meat. That's fine. You throw in the Trinity. You throw in some cayenne. You throw in some, some garlic. Uh, man, and they're good. And you can even go get the Pillsbury pie dough, the stuff in the refrigerator section, not the frozen pie shells. Um, but you, you've got Pillsbury, and it's in a box, and it comes, and you can cut them out into circles. You can put the meat in them. You can bake them. You can fry them if you want, but they're actually really good baked. I bake them on parchment paper. They're good. Text the word recipe to 33777. Uh, okay, now, uh, Mike Bloomberg is suggesting behind the scenes uh, he wants a contested convention, but here's let me read you the headline. Bloomberg's debate backfire could seal it for Bernie. This is from Axios. Mike Bloomberg got into the 2020 race to stop Bernie Sanders and socialism. If he doesn't bounce back from this week's debate, he may seal the deal for both. Bloomberg's own campaign has warned that Sanders could lock up the nomination in mere weeks thanks to rivals splitting the opposition vote. But Bloomberg's own spending makes it harder for the other rivals to cut through and virtually assures he sucks up significant delegates. A top Bloomberg official tells me the response is simple. Recover at the next debate Tuesday in South Carolina. Bloomberg warned in Salt Lake City yesterday, look, the real winner in the debate last night was Donald Trump because I worry we may uh, very well be on the way to nominating somebody who cannot win in November. And if we choose a candidate who appeals to a small base like Senator Sanders, it will be a fatal error. Now, here's the thing. Bloomberg's polling at 15 plus percent in most states. That's the minimum. You've got to get 15 percent in a Democratic primary to get any delegates. His money can buy a viable floor regardless of the debate. But here's the problem. Joe Biden had a good debate performance in Nevada, and he's going to do good in the poll in in the caucus tomorrow in Nevada and a week from tomorrow in South Carolina. That's going to keep him in the race. Uh, Pete Buttigieg is going to do well tomorrow and in South Carolina. That's going to keep him in the race. Elizabeth Warren is rebounding. Man, the press uh, is loving the Elizabeth Warren rebound. I, I got up this morning and the big story was Trump and Russia. And the number two story on all the papers was Elizabeth Warren rebounding. 
Except she gets out there and she starts talking and she says kind of goofy stuff. Does your commitment to the environment include a ban on the export of American oil? So what I want to see us do, I hadn't thought about it in terms of that specific part. What I want to see us do is get off an oil economy and not only for ourselves, but for the rest of the world. Uh, I want to see us move entirely to green. And let me say on this, I not only support a green new deal, I don't think it goes far enough. I also have a blue new deal because we got to be thinking about our oceans as well. That we need to <laughs> go far to me and y'all. She is, um, she, she's, she's resurging and the media loves it. Remember, I said earlier, Elizabeth Warren is a candidate the media has always loved. They've been trying to make her happen for years and she's not doing well on the campaign stage. And you got the president now going to Colorado and pointing out that the Democrats will wipe out 90,000 jobs in Colorado with their fracking stuff. In fact, I got to play you this clip. It's actually pretty funny. Uh, the president taking on windmills. And we have ended the war in American energy. There was a war and we're up here and we're doing it. We are right now energy independent. Can you believe it? They want to use wind, 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 blow, wind, please, please, please blow. Please, please keep the birds away from those windmills, please. Tell those beautiful bald egos, no, no, a bald eagle. You know, if you shoot a bald eagle, they put you in jail for a long time. But the windmills knock them out like crazy. It's true. And I think they have a rule, after a certain number are killed, you have to close down the windmill until the following year. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And they're all made in China and in Germany, Siemens. And for those of you that want to hear it, when they're making them, more stuff goes up into the air and up into the ozone, the atmosphere. More stuff is going up there, they're making it. Ay, ay, ay. And they don't say this, but you know, after a period of time, they get tired, they get old, they get rusty. And a lot of the guys say, hey, their useful life is gone. Let's get the hell out of here. And they're all over the place. You look at Palm Springs, California, take a look. Palm Springs, they're all over the place. They're closed, they're rotting, they look like hell. Every major Democrat running for president wants to entirely eliminate American production of oil and natural gas, crushing Colorado's economy. You know, there's a story out in Bloomberg News. And by the way, so if you live in Georgia, in particular, if you live south of Atlanta, uh, I have constantly in the last several years seen windmill blades uh, coming down the interstate on tractor trailer trucks with police escort. And, you know, for the longest time, I thought it was um, they build the seven, uh, 787 in Charleston. And the 787 has its pieces made all over the world, and then they're assembled in Charleston, and they fly in a lot of the pieces for the Boeing 787, uh, but they also, uh, they, they truck a lot of them in. And I've been seeing these wings come down the interstate. And I thought, oh, these are the wings for uh, going to Charleston for the 787. And I mentioned that offhandedly to my father-in-law, and he said, no, those are for windmills. My father-in-law uh, worked for... Um, for Southwire in Carrollton for a number of years. He's an engineer. Uh, and he said, no, these these are actually for the, the energy windmills. Uh, they're putting them in down on the coast. And down in South Georgia, they're putting in these windmills. And these are the blades. 
And they, they do, they can decimate a bird population, as, as the president was saying. You, you shoot the, you can you go to jail for shooting a bald eagle, and, but the, the windmill chops them up. Now, this is from, ironically, this is from Bloomberg News. A wind turbine's blades can be longer than a Boeing 747 wing, so at the end of their lifespan, they can't just be hauled away. First, you need to saw through the lissom fiberglass using a diamond-encrusted industrial saw to create three pieces small enough to be strapped to a tractor-trailer. The municipal landfill in Casper, Wyoming, is the final resting place of 870 blades whose days making renewable energy have come to an end. The severed fragments look like bleached whale bones nestled against one another. That's the end of it for this winter, said waste technician Michael Bradfold, who, watching a bulldozer bury them forever in sand, we'll get the rest when the weather breaks this spring. Tens of thousands of aging blades are coming down from steel towers around the world and now have nowhere to go but landfills. The U.S. alone, about 8,000 will be removed in each of the next four years. Europe, which has been dealing with the problem longer, has about 3,800 coming down annually through at least 2022, according to Bloomberg. It's going to get worse. Most were built more than a decade ago when installations were less than a fifth of what they are now. Built to withstand hurricane-force winds, the blades can't easily be crushed, recycled, or repurposed. That's created an urgent search for alternatives in places that lack wide-open prairies. In the U.S., they go to the handful of landfills that accept them in Lake Mills, Iowa, Sioux City, South Dakota, and Casper, Wyoming, where they are interred in stacks that reach 30 feet under. The wind turbine blade will be there ultimately forever says Bob Capadona, the CEO of North American uh, the unit of Paris-based Viola Environmental SA, which is searching for better ways to deal with the waste. Most landfills are dry tombs. The last thing we want is to create even more environmental challenges. This is really rich, y'all. You know, it, it, it is amazing to me. It, they have a new generation of nuclear power plant in this country. It's called the fourth generation, I believe. And you, you know the the fear back in the day was the the nuclear the spent nuclear rods. What do you do with the nuclear rods? Uh, you got to put them somewhere. Put them under Yucca Mountain. That's been the plan, and and we've never done it. Uh, they're sitting at nuclear facilities around the country. They would have to be uh, put on trains and trucked over to Yucca Mountain. Could cause environmental damage. What if the drain tips over? Oh my goodness! Uh, have all sorts of uh, all sorts of problems for them. So what what do you do? What do you, what do you do with the nuclear the spent nuclear rods? Well, there's a fourth generation nuclear reactor that can actually use those nuclear rods to manufacture new nuclear energy. But environmentalists are opposed to nuclear energy in this country. It seems like environmentalists are opposed to anything that would actually help us. And inevitably, their solutions wind up causing all sorts of environmental problems. I mean, have you all paid attention to the, uh, the solar power problem? Making solar power panels is deeply polluting. 
the rare earth minerals you got to get, the mining, uh, child labor concerns in China and in Africa and in South America to get all the stuff. They become much more efficient than they used to be back in the day. Jimmy Carter put them on the White House and Ronald Reagan got rid of them. Uh, and the, the media and then the environmentalists were appalled, but they weren't very efficient. They didn't do a good job. And, and Reagan got rid of them. And, oh, it was terrible. It was horrible. And Barack Obama, St. Obama put them back. But they were far more efficient by the time Obama put them back on the White House. But they're deeply polluting. They're, they're, they're horrible for the environment to actually get the stuff necessary to make the solar panels. And now you got the windmills, but oh my goodness, we can't have nuclear. We've got actually got systems in place with fourth generation nuclear power plants where you can build a nuclear power plant and you can use the spent fuel rods to continue the main. In fact, they don't even use fuel rods in some of them anymore. They don't melt down like like Three Mile Island or, or you don't have Fukushima or, or Chernobyl problems. But the environmentalists live in fear that we may embrace nuclear power. Why is that? Have you ever noticed that they want us to rely just on wind and solar power? There's a time that we used to rely on wind and solar power in the world, and we called it the Dark Ages. Because believe it or not, there are times the sun doesn't shine, and there are times the wind doesn't blow, and you get no power. You actually need something like a nuclear power plant or a coal-burning power plant to, to get your, your base power going. You, you can't rev up the wind when you got peak power. What happens in, in places that do it? The power goes out. You got those concerns in California now where, where you get hot days out there and everybody has to live in a blackout because there's not enough power to go around because they made it really, really hard to build new power plants out there. They got to have windmills. They got to have solar power plants, and, and they're not efficient enough. They're, they're not good enough. And now you got Elizabeth Warren coming out saying, hey, we need to do more of this. The Green New Deal doesn't go far enough. We need a Blue New Deal. We need to protect the oceans as well. What about all the, the seagull carcasses that are chopped up in the windmills? Are they polluting the water? I mean, Elizabeth Warren, God bless her. She doesn't come across as a likable person on stage. And when you point it out, of course, the difference, oh, that's sexist. That's sexist. You can't say that about Elizabeth Warren. How dare you being sexist? No, she's not a likable person on stage. Neither is Bernie Sanders. Nobody says you're sexist when you say Bernie Sanders doesn't come across as likable. Elizabeth Warren does not come across as likable. You know, when, when Hillary Clinton ran for president, I referred to her one time. I was filling in for Rush Limbaugh one time. And I, I referred to Hillary Clinton as America's ex-mother-in-law. Oh, that went over exactly like you expect. But come on. She was she was like your 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 now I, I happen to love my mother-in-law and I'm not divorced, so it doesn't apply to me, but man, I hear stories sometimes about about um the mother-in-laws of of, of exes, my goodness, and, and from men and women both. Thank goodness I don't have to deal with that. I love my mother-in-law. Um, and it, it just, but man, I, I called her that and people, ah, that's just so sexist. How dare you say that about uh, Hillary Clinton? Man, when I said her motto was going to be, yes, we can, yes, we cankle instead of yes, we can. I got torn up on CNN. Said that on Rush too, and, and they, they didn't like it. I had a friend of mine reach out from CNN and say, yeah, you probably shouldn't say this stuff, but come on. You can be funny about it, but you can't. You can't be funny about it. You can't say that Elizabeth Warren is a deeply unpleasant person on the base. She may be a very lovely person. She may she may be St. Elizabeth. She may be the kindest, warmest, friendliest person, but on the debate, say she does not come across that way at all. 
at least some of them can come across as affable. And so, I mean, listen, Joe Biden is actually a very funny, affable person. He comes across a little clueless on stage. I believe he's um, like his sell-by date has, has passed, but he actually comes across as a likable, humorous person on stage. Even Bernie on occasion will laugh at himself, even though he comes across as angry on stage all the time. But Warren doesn't. And, and now you got her out there saying all these things. And, and she, she's trying to back the Green New Deal and the environmentalists. She's trying to get the left on board with her. Uh, she's trying to make a case for herself. The media is trying to help her and her come back. All the headlines today after the Trump, Russia wants Trump. The headlines are all Elizabeth Warren's comeback. Can it happen? Can she rebound? Give her more money. You know, she raised $5 million in less than 24 hours after the Nevada debate. So she's going to keep going. Amy Klobuchar raised several million dollars at the Nevada debate. She's going to keep going. Pete Buttigieg is going to keep going. Bernie Sanders is going to go. Joe Biden's going to go. Mike Bloomberg's going to go. None of these people are going to get out of their way. And that's going to leave Bernie with his lane. And Elizabeth Warren, she's not going after Bernie. It's going to help Bernie. And if Bernie's the nominee, you've now got Democrats coming out doing their detailed analyses of how things are going to work. And guess what? It shows... Donald Trump is going to win re-election if Bernie Sanders is the nominee and the Democrats can't help themselves at this point. There could be a wild card. You know, Bloomberg is hoping for a contested convention, but I got to tell you, if you if Bernie Sanders goes to the convention and he's got a plurality of the delegates and he's got a um, he, he's got a he's got a plurality of the vote and he's got the most supporters there of any of the candidates and they don't give it to him. His supporters are going to burn the place to the ground. They're not going to go show up in November. Bernie Sanders, and the, the really rich irony of this, as Pete Buttigieg pointed out on the debate stage the other day, the really rich irony here is, is he's not even a Democrat. Yes, we've got to wake up as a party. We, we could wake up two weeks from today, the day after Super Tuesday, and the only candidates left standing will be Bernie Sanders and Mike Bloomberg, the two most polarizing figures on this stage. And most Americans don't see where they fit if they've got to choose between a socialist who thinks that capitalism is the root of all evil and a billionaire who thinks that money ought to be the, the root of all power. Let's put forward somebody who actually lives and works in a middle-class neighborhood in an industrial Midwestern city. Let's put forward somebody who's actually a Democrat. The crowd loved that. Neither one of them is actually a Democrat, and they're about to break the Democratic Party. Let me sue these guys who have done this stuff, this carnage on the street. Look at the people here in the greatest mass shooting in American history, the worst mass shooting in Mandalay Bay. A guy has 12 assault weapons with bump stocks, which means you can fire it faster, pull the trigger faster, and 100 rounds. Why in God's name should anyone, 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 anyone be able to own that? It's just wrong. And we've got, to, and I promise you, as president, I am going to get these guys. I want to let them know. I promise you. I'm the only guy that's beaten the gun manufacturer. I'm only, the only guy that's beaten the NRA nationally, and I did it twice nationally. And gun manufacturers, I'm coming for you. I, I don't think that's, you know, you've got the Democrats, they're coming for gun manufacturers, they're coming for gun owners, they're coming for fracking jobs, they're coming for coal jobs. I, I don't think this is a winning message. And, and I think the Democrats have gotten to be in such a big bubble 
with the media feedback loop, remember, there is ample inordinate data out there that suggests that reporters are way further to the left of even some of the Democratic candidates who are running. And these reporters are are chomping at the bit for the for the Democrats to go after the groups that the the media. I mean, the media is totally in the tank for the gun control movement. Mike Bloomberg, of course, has poured inordinate amounts of money into it. We got Lucy McBath here in Georgia who uh, is supporting Bloomberg, and he's given a lot of money to help get her elected into the the gun control crowd. She, because of the tragedy with her son, is is hugely in favor of gun control. I don't know that that plays very well. Look at what's happening in Virginia, where even Democrats in Virginia rejected the gun control measures that these Democrats are are saying. And and the data shows that there is an increasing number of Americans who identify as Republican who didn't just last year. I mean, Gallup has been tracking this for a while, and the number of people who say they're Republican has been inching up. In fact, uh, more Americans today say they're supportive of the Republican Party than at any time since George W. Bush's re-election when he won 51% of the vote. That's striking to me. And, of course, it goes over the media's head that they're so out of touch on these issues. It's going to come back to hurt them in November. I will talk to you guys on Monday. Have a great weekend. Don't forget, text RECIPE to 33777.